humans, humans of Minnesota. It is Ellie Krug here on Ellie 2.0 Radio. Not only that, but on an expanded Ellie 2.0 Radio, this is the inaugural show of our one-hour show. I had been a half hour starting at 7.30s on Mondays, but now I am starting at 8, going, excuse me, that's wrong, starting at 7, you just all wanted to look at your watch, starting at 7, going till 8, um, every Monday now, and I'm just thrilled about an expanded format. For those of you who have never heard from me or heard of me, I am Ellie Krug. I am been on AM950 for a couple of years, almost two years now, um, with shows and formerly on Sundays with Hidden Edges Radio, and now with LE 2.0 Radio every Monday from 7 to 8, as I said. And let me also add for those new listeners that you are hearing what sounds like a man's voice on the radio, which I'm not really happy about, but I am female. I guarantee you I'm sitting here right now with long blonde hair and da-da-da and all that stuff and wearing a summer dress as we tape this show. Um, and I'm transgender, though. I'm one of the relatively few transgender radio hosts in the world. And there you go. So it's out there. There it is. For those who have not heard the show before, LE 2.0 Radio is about what I call practical idealism, where I share about what it means to be an idealist. We will have on the show guests who are idealists doing important work towards making the world a better place. I have a phenomenal guest for this inaugural extended show, Stephanie Gleros from Humans of Minneapolis. We will get to her um, later in the show. Um, I also share about my work. Um, I go around the country um, training and speaking on human inclusivity, and uh, the station owner has made it clear that he wants me to talk about my work, so I will do that um, at the end of the show. Um, I am, again, just thrilled to be talking to you, thrilled to have this expanded show. Um, and uh, what do I have for a show today other than Stephanie Glaros? Well, I want to talk about in this A slot, this beginning slot, and I'm going to try and do with some consistency every time I do the show. There'll be three slots. First, there'll be an A slot um, where I will talk about an idealist. Um, probably from a historical standpoint, but also maybe some contemporary idealists talk about who they are, the work that they've done, maybe something significant related to that person. Then the middle of the show will be an interview with an idealist, and today, as I said, we'll have Stephanie Glaros. And at the end of the show, which would be my my (laughs) C-slot, C-block, yes, I do slur my words every once in a while, sorry about that. Um, For the end of the show, I will talk about my work. And um, what I, who I want to talk about in my beginning slot here is a man named Jerome Smith. Not a name that I knew until I started reading Michael Eric Dyson's book, What Truth Sounds Like. The book just came out. Um, it is available um, in, in bookstores from St. Martin's Press as well as Amazon, where I got it from. His book uh, is about a conversation that took place in May of 1963 um, between a number of, of very notable um, African-American black um, uh, folks, mainly entertainers and authors, but That conversation included um, a young 20-something man by the name of Jerome Smith. And that is, I want to focus a little bit on Jerome, and I want to talk a little bit about this meeting that took place. Um, In in 1961, in May of 61, Jerome Smith was in his early 20s. And he happened to be one of the first freedom riders. Um, And for those of you who are historically aware, and those of you who are not, I'll describe that the Freedom Riders were um, people, black and white people, who um, boarded buses in northern cities like Philadelphia, who then rode those buses into the south, into the deep south, into Alabama and Mississippi um, and New Orleans, who, with the intent of desegregating bus stations, and restaurants or lunch counters within those bus stations. 
Um, the Freedom Riders, there were a lot of them. If you uh, and at some point, I'm probably going to do a show just on the Freedom Riders. Um, but um, there, they, there were a lot of buses, a lot of Freedom Rides, and um, and they were not pleasant experiences for the riders because very often what happened was that the Freedom Riders were met at the Deep South bus stations by angry whites, um, often affiliated with the Ku Klux Klan, very often um, in, in cahoots with the local police department where the police department would give um, um, Klan members license to go onto the buses or into the bus uh, stations to beat uh, the Freedom Riders. And Jerome Smith was one of those Freedom Riders. In, um, and in, in uh, 1961, uh, he did two Freedom Rides, and on both of those Freedom Rides, he was severely beaten by a white crowd. Um, and, uh, and, and it's not a pleasant story whatsoever. And if you have any interest, you can hear more about Jerome Smith in terms of his upbringing. Um, uh, which included him uh, as a young boy sitting on uh, buses in the in the deep south and sitting in in the white only section. Um, there's a, a wonderful recounting of this in the AARP um, um, magazine from May 3 of 2011. So if you Google Jerome Smith AARP, uh, that story will come up. But Jerome Smith had that background. Um, he had been beaten. Um, and he remained a vocal advocate for desegregation. Actually, he remained a vocal advocate for accepting all humans. In May of 1963, Robert F. Kennedy, who at the time was the Attorney General, convened a meeting at uh, his family's apartment right off of Central Park in New York City. Among the people at that meeting were James Baldwin, the famous author, Harry Belafonte, and Lena Horne, who were both singers, and a white man named Rip Torn, who was a comedian, um, but very um, sympathetic to uh, the black cause. Um, one of the other people invited was a man named Edwin Berry from the Chicago Urban League, and he brought along Jerome Smith. The purpose of the meeting was for Robert F. Kennedy to be um, educated about the plight of blacks in America. And um, as some may recall, Robert F. Kennedy is one of my heroes. During that meeting, um, Kennedy started to talk about how he believed the U.S. Justice Department was protecting Freedom Riders because the Freedom Riders were still going on. And um, Jerome Smith interrupted Kennedy right there and started crying and said that Kennedy was wrong, that Department of Justice people who were at these bus stations when Freedom Riders arrived, all that they did was stand around and take notes. They did not protect the Freedom Riders whatsoever. And then Smith went on to tell Kennedy that there was no way he'd ever enter military service for the U.S. You may remember Vietnam was ramping up, starting to get on the radar in 1963. And Smith said there was no way that he would fight for the U.S., um, in other countries when uh, the United States denied blacks rights at home. He even went so far as to say that he was getting close to picking up a gun himself to use against whites because of his great frustration with the federal government. Upon hearing that, as recounted in Michael Eric Tyson's book, as well as other accounts of this meeting in May of 1963, upon hearing what Smith said, can it... Kennedy physically turned his back to Smith and started to engage the others. But author Lorraine Hansberry told Kennedy outright that he needed to listen to Smith and that if he was insensitive to Smith, maybe she, as she agreed, that maybe the only alternative was violence. Eventually, Hansberry and Smith and others walked out of the meeting, feeling that Kennedy had turned a blind ear and eye to them. Um, there were other things about the aftermath of that meeting I do not have to share, I, that I don't have the time to share. But as it turns out, many see this meeting that took place um, with Jerome Smith and others as a turning point for Kennedy, notwithstanding how he treated those people at that meeting. Shortly thereafter that meeting, he pushed President Kennedy to propose specific civil rights legislation. 
And then later, Robert F. Kennedy testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee. And he posed a question to the committee. And this question was this, quote, How long can we say no to a Negro in Jackson? That would be Jackson, Mississippi. When war comes, we will be, you will be an American citizen. But in the meantime, you're a citizen of Mississippi and we can't help you, period, unquote. Idealists like Jerome Smith and the others that were at that meeting with Robert F. Kennedy aren't afraid to speak power to truth. Excuse me, to speak truth to power. I'm so sorry I said that the wrong way. Idealists speak power, speak truth to power, and they do so because it's in their DNA to do it. The example of Jerome Smith talking to Robert F. Kennedy is an example that we all need to remember, particularly in this time of our country, right now, as I tape this show, what's happening in America, and the failure to speak truth to power. We need to do that, and we need to call upon these examples to nourish us and to help us as we go forward. When we come back from the break, I'll be interviewing Stephanie Glaris about her project, Humans of Minneapolis, and talking about what makes her an idealist. You've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio, a different kind of radio show, one that taps into idealism that all of us have buried within us. If you like what we you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. I'll be back in a second. Thank you. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. AM 950 listeners, we have a home cleaning company with an offer just for you. They're Blue Sky Services. Blue Sky Services will wash your windows, siding, gutters, clean those black streaks off your roof, and much more. Window washing starts at $100. Siding cleaning starts at $199. Call Blue Sky Services at 651-447-4484 to ask for the AM 950 special. If you hear this, you have an exclusive house cleaning offer for AM 950 listeners. Call Blue Sky Services at 651-447-4484. That's 651-447-4484. Minnesota's original appliance specialist, Warner Stellion, is excited to announce the opening of its new store, located off Broadway and 35W in Northeast Minneapolis. Now, here's what we're going to do at our new store. We're going to sell all the best brands at guaranteed unbeatable prices. Then we're going to deliver and install them right and fast. It's been a long time since a new appliance store opened in the city of Minneapolis. You can see us from the highway. We're on the east side of 35W next to Boyer Ford. Come for a visit soon. Northeast Minneapolis is known for its creativity, and you'll know exactly why when you eat at Hazel's Northeast. Their creatively prepared comfort food will have you coming back week after week. Breakfasts like biscuits and gravy, granola pancakes, and brisket hash. For lunch, homemade soup, and one of the best Rubens in town. And don't miss the daily risotto or Chef Ali's ever-changing dinner specials. Come on in. Bring the whole family. Hazel's Northeast delivers real good food. Family owned at 29th and Johnson in Minneapolis. No matter what your taste, you'll find the music you're looking for at the Electric Fetus. Pick from rock, pop, international, roots music, and so much more on CD and vinyl. Or create your own compilation of favorites with the exclusive Mix and Burn CD station. Only available at the Electric Fetus. Dust off your vinyl or just make some space by turning your unwanted music into cash. The used selection changes daily, so check out the new arrivals often. 2000 4th Avenue South in Minneapolis and online at efetus.com. Hello, this is Ellen Krug from Hidden Edges Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I'm standing in front of audiences training about diversity and inclusion and on how to be welcoming to others who are different from us. More than ever, employers and organizations need professional diversity and inclusion training. I can offer that training through my company, Human Inspiration Works, LLC. I'd love to make your workplace or organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. And we are back on LE 2.0. 
102.0 Radio with Ellie Krug on AM 950. And as promised, I have Stephanie Glaros here from Humans of Minneapolis. Stephanie, welcome to Ellie 2.0 Radio. Thank you. I'm thrilled to have you. You know that uh, you have been on my show when it was Hidden Edges Radio a couple of times. I wanted to have you back because you are, first of all, such a great guest. Um, but I thought for my inaugural you know, extended edition of LE 2.0 that I would love to have you come because you are one of the most idealistic humans that I know. And, um, and, and in many ways, you and, you, you and I think alike, and uh, I think we also work alike, and so who knows where that will go someday. But So, welcome. And I wonder if you could, for our audience who are not familiar with uh, you or your work with Humans of Minneapolis, could you talk a little bit about what HOM does? And, and we should let the audience know you're creating a nonprofit. I'm on the board of that nonprofit, just so we get that out of the way for transparency's sake. Go ahead. So Humans of Minneapolis is a storytelling and street photography project that I've been working on since 2010, uh, which became then uh, a social media platform that I developed, and it's all about me kind of going out there and engaging strangers uh, or people I don't know and finding out a little bit about them, sharing their story, uh, taking their photograph, and then sharing it online. So uh, I've been, I've been, it's been Humans of Minneapolis since 2013. Uh, I was able to publish a book in 2016, and then now, like you said, I'm going to be relaunching the project as a nonprofit organization in just a couple weeks here. So it's very exciting. Okay, now, um, and, and thanks for that rendition, but we need to sort of back up because this was a very organic process for you. It started out as a photography project, right? Yeah. And then something happened, and that, and that something is what I want to focus on because, to me, that is the spark of idealism at work. Yeah, I mean, the reason I started it was simply that I was I've, – I've been a photographer my whole life, so I used to carry my camera with me uh, when I'd walk back and forth from work downtown Minneapolis. And my path p- took me past the, the Greyhound bus station and the homeless shelter. And as I was sort of take, taking pictures and photographing sort of things in my environment, I wasn't paying as much attention to the people I was seeing every day until I started to realize I was seeing the same people every day. But we weren't interacting because we were different. And that... Different in the sense that you're... Um a, a blonde white woman, youngish, and encountering people who were quote-unquote other in our society, people of color, people from, obviously, if they're homeless, a marginalized community. Exactly. So, you know, there's these these barriers that we sort of put up uh, between each other, uh, largely, I think, based on fear. And so... Fear, yep. So I started to when i started to realize that it just didn't really feel good to me to walk past people every day uh who i recognized and who i thought probably recognized me and not interact so i began to use my camera as simply an excuse to interact with people who i normally wouldn't and and what did you say i mean what were you saying to these folks well at that point i was really uh frightened at the prospect it was something that i was i had to literally force myself to do and yet i just felt really compelled to do it so i would approach them and at that point i was just simply asking if i could take their photograph just straight up uh you know without really any purpose i mean i didn't even know at that time why i was doing it i just knew that i felt that i should and when people would say yes uh, i would bring the the digital files home i would make a little print because this is before i had a smartphone and i would hope that i would run into them again so i could give them the the print and what happened is people reacted really positively to the photos people liked the photos that i was taking and so despite the fact that it was something that scared me and really challenged me that kind of gave me that positive feedback loop that i needed 
to keep going. It kind of told me like, okay, you're doing, you're on to something here. Okay. It gave you confidence. It gave me confidence because I know that it's, most people don't like photographs of themselves. That's just kind of a universal thing. We all are our, our own worst critics, but the fact that people like the photos made me go, okay, well, maybe there's something here. So that's really where it started is just simply a way for me to break those kind of social barriers uh, that, that we put up between each other. And then from there with the photos, you then stumbled on the idea of stories. Yes, and it was inspired by... Humans of New York. So obviously, Humans of New York is is one of the most popular social media projects globally. Uh, period on the internet. Uh, Brandon Stanton started it, and uh, you know, grew to he's got 18 million followers. So he sort of started a, a movement so that there's these humans of pages all over the world. So when I realized that there was these humans of pages, uh, I thought, well, why not sort of relaunched the project, which at the time I called Minneapolis Strangers. I relaunched it as Humans of Minneapolis and then added that storytelling component. So that was the thing about Humans of New York is he wasn't just photographing people. He was talking to people and he was sharing their stories. And so I thought, okay, you know, in order to kind of be part of this this movement, I need to also incorporate that storytelling uh, aspect. Okay. And then bringing us forward, you started creating stories um, posting those stories on Facebook, right? Yep. And then out of that, somewhere along the way, somebody said, why don't you do a book? Yes. And, and you know, along the way, I mean, you know, my following kind of grew and, and I, got, I got better at what I was doing. I got less, less fearful. Uh, and I just got a lot of really positive feedback about it. So, again, it kind of helped me uh, to keep going. And then in 2016, my publisher, Wise Inc., uh, approached me and asked me, if I was interested in doing a book or if I had thought about doing a book, which I had. Uh, so that was uh, the kind of the next big step in the project was was creating the book, which is basically just kind of a, a best of uh, the best stories, the best photos from the project. Okay. And that book is out now, right? Yes. And how, when did it come out? In 2016. All right. So you're out about two years. Um, where, because people are going to be wondering, uh, first of all, describe the book. It's got a wonderful cover on it. Yeah, and I, my background is actually as in graphic design. So I, I created the book myself. I, I laid it out myself. I, I chose all the stories. I, I did most of the editing. Uh, and, you know, it was really, it was kind of a, 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 a marker uh, in, in the project where uh, it really... I think kind of marked a point in time and kind of pushed me to want to think about what's next. Like, okay, you know, you've been working on this for a while. Now you've got this book. Uh, you know, what, what are you going to do with, with it next? And in the course of creating the book, what happened is I had the opportunity, or I should say the, the excuse that I needed to actually follow up with some of my subjects. Because I often wondered, I would do this work, you know, you kind of, you do the work, you post the story, you see, you know, people leave lots of positive comments. Uh, sometimes people offer help even. Help to some of the people that you're posting about. Somebody needs a piece of clothing or some some aspect to, to help their life for some on the street, but not always. You've got in your book people who are not other in that sense but people who are struggling in life in a variety of ways right and everybody needs some kind of help so it could be something you know really small to something uh really large and but i always wondered about the people who appeared on the on the the blog the people who i interviewed I always thought, like, well, what happened after that? Like, did that have any effect on you? But I, I never really had, like I say, sort of the excuse or, or uh, a reason to follow up with them. The book kind of gave me that reason. So I began to follow up with some of my subjects. And the things that they told me in terms of what happened after their interview was posted, after they shared their story, just kind of blew me away. I really had no idea until I started following up uh, with my subjects for my book what kind of impact the work was having. Uh, and that, that was a real eye-opener for me and, and, you know, again, one of the things that kind of pushed me to want to do more with the project and, you know, that led to the idea of, of creating the nonprofit. Uh, but it really proved this, this 
kind of idea that, that I really believe now, which is that all of our actions have an impact. Everything we do ripples out. Well, and when we come back from our break, Steph, I want to talk about your nonprofit. And then I want to dig down into you being an idealist because you are and you're very inspirational. You inspire me. You have ever since I've gotten to know you. So, listeners, you've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio, talking to Stephanie Glaros with Humans of Minneapolis. Um, this show is a different kind of show. We're tapping into idealism. I call it practical idealism. That all of us have um, wanting to have a better world. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com and sign up for my newsletter, The Ripple. When we come back, we'll finish our interview with Stephanie Claros. Thanks. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education, and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging, and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. What kind of a jackass would let an animal pick their insurance? Did you really think a lizard could save you money on car insurance? Would you let a duck pick your health policy? Insurance can be a zoo, but this is ridiculous. What you really need is an insurance agent that isn't looking out for the insurance companies. You need Cheryl at Array, an independent agent with 30 years experience looking for the best rate possible. Quit monkeying around and call 763-504-3067. That's 763-504-3067 for Cheryl at Array, representing you, not the insurance companies. Enjoy a delicious home-cooked breakfast or lunch away from the kitchen at Milda's Cafe, now open seven days a week. Milda's Cafe has been cooking up family favorites since 1964. Grab a coffee and sit down for a delicious Philly scramble, house-made rolls, or Denver omelet. Stop in for lunch where you'll find authentic Finnish pasties every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Open weekdays 6 to 3, weekends 8 to 2. Milda's Cafe on Glenwood Avenue, four blocks east of Penn. Mishad Cooley Erickson, a mechanical and electrical consulting engineering firm in Minneapolis, supports inclusivity by designing spaces for all user groups, honoring inclusivity and respect. These spaces include gender-neutral family restrooms and nursing mothers' rooms. For example, Mishad Cooley Erickson has designed lactation rooms for traveling mothers at the MSP International Airport. Designing these spaces has changed the expectations of similar facilities in airports around the country. Mishad Cooley Erickson designed safe and comfortable environments for occupants who are their number one priority. Tap, taste, and treasure at Vinaigrette, where we have some warm seasonal recipes all ready to create dynamite meals. Our fig balsamic vinegar pairs perfectly with roasted Brussels sprouts or baked brie. And sweet potatoes are always a winner, but never more than when they're roasted with a drizzle of vinaigrette cinnamon or orange-fused extra virgin olive oil on top. Come in today for more custom-crafted food and cocktail recipes at Vinaigrette, 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis and 287 Water Street in downtown Excelsior. Online at vinaigrettemn.com. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Hunter Hawes. Monday, mostly sunny with a high near 89. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 88. And Wednesday, partly sunny with a high near 90. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces is your place to find indoor-outdoor stoves and fireplaces. Good for warming yourself by the fire or cooking in a beautiful wood-burning oven. Award-winning installations. Conveniently located at 2901 Franklin Avenue East in Minneapolis. Find out more at woodlandstoves.com. This is Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio. You've been listening to me. I've been speaking with Stephanie Glaros from Humans of Minneapolis. And Stephanie's been laying out um, her project uh, with Humans of Minneapolis that 
literally started out with taking some photos of people on the street in downtown Minneapolis. Stephanie, before we broke, you started to talk about the nonprofit that you've created. So you've created Humans of Minneapolis as kind of an entity that turned into a book, but but you not satisfied with that. And that is one of the hallmarks of idealism is you're just never satisfied with what you have done now you're going forward and creating a nonprofit. and what is the name of the nonprofit? and tell us about the mission of the nonprofit. and again for listeners i happen to be on the board of that nonprofit. quite thankful for that but tell us about the nonprofit and where it's going so the nonprofit is is also called humans of minneapolis and it really came out of both this realization that these this storytelling uh, and the sharing of these stories on social media was having this positive ripple effect uh, in the community. So that was one part of it. And the other part of it was this, this idea that the people who follow the page are kind of a special group of people. People on Facebook? Well, and specifically the people that, that follow my page. I feel like the people that, that follow Humans of Minneapolis are also idealistic and like I said before, oftentimes when a subject expressed a need, people were offering help. And for a long time, I was sort of frustrated with the fact that, you know, because it's just me working on this project, I really had no way of sort of facilitating those connections. So some would, would maybe offer help, but but then what? Well, what do you do with that? How do you how do you help facilitate that? How do you connect somebody with resources with somebody with the need? Exactly. And right. I just kind of felt by myself like I wasn't quite up to the task. Uh, you know, I, I consider myself an artist. That's my that's my perspective. And, and I feel like I'm, I'm the connector. Uh, so it was kind of those those two things that made me realize, you know what, maybe maybe I need to do something more with this. And, you know, what I didn't want to do was was kind of squander or waste that that goodwill you know i wanted i wanted to harness it and and help facilitate those connections because of course when people offer help it doesn't just help the person receiving the help it helps the person who's offering the help yep uh so empathy at work yep yeah so i just thought you know maybe i can do something uh you know and, and people actually a few people had mentioned over the years you know the idea of a nonprofit. and the other thing too is that people were always offering me offering me help so i would get messages from people saying hey i'd love to help you with your project what can i do but i had no way to plug them in because again it was just kind of me with my camera you know just trying to just trying to keep up with the work uh so the idea of a nonprofit came up as, as sort of the logical next step. So uh, the mission of Humans of Minneapolis is to connect hearts and minds with storytelling, to build community, encourage empathy, and provide tangible ways to do good. So we're, we basically have three branches to our work. So one is the community engagement piece, which is just those those spontaneous interviews, and that's kind of the community building part. Uh, the offering tangible ways to do good is the, you know, helping to facilitate those uh, those connections between people, which is really what the project is about at its heart, is just connecting people. People with resources with people with needs. And, and just people in general, just people feeling a connection because what happens when I share this story and kind of the, the magic piece for me is that when someone shares their story, people feel co- a connection to that person. And that's right. kind of the empathy piece is sure. now now people are because I've heard from a lot of people over the years that, you know, because of my work and because of the kinds of stories that I share, that it sort of makes them think twice before they judge people who they don't know. So they might see someone and then they kind of, you know, find catch themselves maybe judging them, but right. then they think of my project and they go, "You know what? I don't actually know what's going on this per- with this person. Maybe I shouldn't jump to those conclusions." Right. Uh so and then third, I really want to in the future create events and uh uh connect what I'm going to call connection spaces where you know, it's been a dream of mine for a long time to be able to create opportunities for people to interact with each other who maybe normally wouldn't. So it's almost like recreating my experience because I have I have the ability, I have this excuse to kind of talk to whoever I want to. I thought, well, what if I can kind of maybe create some some events where other people also have that opportunity? Because to me, it's just a wonderful, you know, I 
I receive so much and, and I, you know, I, I get so much out of doing the work that I want to kind of share that experience with other people. Right. So part of what you're talking about is how we humans group and label other humans. That's my work and my work combating that and the power of human familiarity that when we become familiar with people, it draws us in. You know, we, you know, we, I mean, sometimes it pushes us apart. I didn't want to know that about that person. But for the most part, when we hear that people are surviving the human condition just like we are, we realize we're not alone and we're drawn to, to them. So your work is those principles in a different format, a different way. Um, while I, uh, so Stephanie you know, this show is about practical idealism, and I think that what you've described is absolutely practical idealism at work. Tell me, what, what do you think it is about your background? What is it about growing up or, or, or experiences that you've had that causes you to do this work, okay? Because we know that there are many people out there that are empathetic. I mean, I, you know, I go and train. I say 99% of all humans want to do good, okay? But... Very few do what you're doing. Very few do the work that I'm doing. What is it about you? You know, I think I've always been a very positive person. I come from sort of a long line of very positive people. <laughs> okay. Uh, my grandmother, super positive. I mean, if you, you know, if you know, if you know any other people with the last name Gleros in the Twin Cities, they're, they're probably cousins of mine. And if you know them, You'll probably say yes that they're also positive people. Uh, so you know that's just kind of my my upbringing. And when you say positive, you know, believing in the good of other people, believing in the good of life. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a glass half full situation. So it's kind of you know as much as possible looking at each, each situation as you know what could potentially come out of this that's good, even if it's not necessarily a good situation. Uh, and yes, definitely, I believe uh, that. People generally are good and and want to do good. Yep. I think that we are in our hearts. Uh, we we desire to to do good and to do the right thing. That's just been my experience. I I understand that not everybody's like that, and that's not everybody's experience. Uh, oh, I, I think it is the vast majority of us, though. But most of us are afraid. You we're know, afraid, we're, and and there's a lot of really negative stuff out there. So sometimes it's kind of easy to forget that that at our you know at our most basic level we we do want to do good. Uh, so you know, and I also think I was very influenced by the Grateful Dead uh, when I was talk uh, about younger. That. Yeah, I mean, talk I you know, that. so I I, uh, I discovered the Grateful Dead uh, when I was in high school, and you know, immediately was really latched onto that that subculture and you know a huge i mean the the motto of deadheads is be kind uh there's also a great grateful dead lyric that goes strangers stopping strangers just to shake their hand and it's really a big part of that deadhead experience was you know and for me at a very young impressionable age in high school so i was traveling around the country and i was meeting people from you know other areas of the country and there's just a real spirit of camaraderie and you know people helping each other and just uh kindness is is very highly valued in that subculture and that was very very influential on me okay. uh, so i definitely uh feel that that's a big a big part of it too and i don't think that idealists you know just sort of wake up one day and we're idealistic we do have experiences many times it is the kindness of other people or the inspiration of other people who are being kind and and we see that or we're told that well steph we're going to run out of time here if people want to buy your book where can they get your book it's on amazon okay and the title of the book is humans of minneapolis all right and uh, when will the nonprofit be live and when will people how will people be able to read about it or find out about the humans of minneapolis nonprofit the best way to get information is at humansofminneapolis.org. Uh, it's it's up now. It's not completely uh, uh, populated, but for the most part, you're going to find uh, information there about the nonprofit. And following Humans of Minneapolis on Facebook is going to be the best way to kind of keep up with the work and, and watch it as it as it grows and evolves. And if people want to donate to the nonprofit, is there a give button on the website? There is. Okay. Well, Stephanie, it's just been... 
Wonderful to have you on the show, and I just love it that you're my first guest for the expanded Ellie 2.0. Thanks so very much for being on the show. It's an honor to be here, Ellie. Oh, thank you. So I've been speaking with uh, Stephanie Glaros with Humans of Minneapolis about her project now morphing into a nonprofit and, um, and her work of connecting humans, which is so incredibly important in our time today. Um, if you uh, want, check it out. And, uh, and when I come back, I will give you um, my thoughts about my work now. Thank you. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years. Celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. Stand up, stand up, you've been sitting way too long. Hello, this is Ralph Nader, host of the Ralph Nader Radio Hour. Join me and my guests every week when we dive deeply into the subjects that matter to you the most, but are rarely on the mass media. Every Sunday for early birds at 7 a.m. and Monday at 6 a.m. And if you're not an early bird, 9 p.m. on Monday, right here on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Victor's 1959 Cafe in South Minneapolis is a locally owned and operated restaurant offering traditional Cuban food. Open for breakfast and lunch daily with dinner Tuesday through Saturday. For night shift workers, Victor's even has both a morning and evening happy hour. And Victor's now accepts dinner reservations too. Stop in and try some delicious authentic Cuban cuisine like ropa vieja and seafood paella. Make your reservation and learn more at victors1959cafe.com. Victor's 1959 Cafe, revolutionary Cuban cooking. Hello, this is Ellen Krug from Hidden Edges Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I'm standing in front of audiences training about diversity and inclusion and on how to be welcoming to others who are different from us. More than ever, employers and organizations need professional diversity and inclusion training. I can offer that training through my company, Human Inspiration Works, LLC. I'd love to make your workplace or organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Back on Ellie 2.0 Radio, this is Ellie Krug. You've been listening to me. What a phenomenal interview with Stephanie Glaris. Oh, my gosh. I will tell you, I am such a fan of her and her work. And someday, my hope is that she and I can collaborate to create a very impactful event in the Twin Cities around the concepts of empathy, seeing, quote, unquote, other, and about... Um, doing good for people who um, lack resources. So stay tuned on that. This last block, what I call my C block here, is where I talk about my work and what I'm trying to accomplish in the world. So to recap a little bit for our new listeners, for the last year and a half, I've been building my company named Human Inspiration Works LLC by conducting trainings and talks where I speak about the need for greater human inclusivity. That is about 
including people who we group and label as other into our lives, into our workplaces. In the, in the most basic sense, my work is about having compassion for others and for self. I have a talk called Gray Area Thinking, which regular listeners to this show know that I've spoken about. I also have a show, a, a talk on what it means to be a good ally um, to people who are from marginalized communities, as well as I have a talk about being transgender. And on top of all of that, I have a variety of motivational talks and all that. I use my skill set as a trial lawyer. I was a trial lawyer for almost 30 years, and I'm also extremely willing to be vulnerable. And that includes, you know, um, messing up on my words on the radio, which you heard right before our break. Uh, yeah, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to show up just as a human. And it turns out that my work um, has taken off. People really like the message that I provide. I think that in part because my message is about hope. It gives people hope that, yes, maybe we can get past all of the horrible division that's going on in our country right now. And when I say the work has taken off, um, it has taken off. Last year, I I did a total of 107 trainings or talks. Yes, I keep track. This year, right now, as I, ty as I tape this show, I've done 96 trainings and talks. And so um, I'm going to pass the 107 number sometime in August. But there is so much more I want to accomplish. I joke around that if I had a million bucks, um, I could change the landscape in the Midwest as it relates to human inclusivity, as it relates to people being more accepting of other, as it relates to crossing the great divide that divides us in colors of blue or red or whatever other colors or, or black or white or religions or all of that stuff. I do believe if I had a million bucks, I could make a significant change, but I don't have a million dollars. And um, so there you go with that. My business, though, I'm literally at a crossroads um, right now. And I could simply do the work that I'm doing and make um, what's turning out to be a, a good living. And I could do all that and call it a day and I think feel pretty good about myself in terms of what I've done. I've actually thought about running for political office um, because uh, there would be greater visibility and greater... Um, ability to send my message about compassion for others and for self. Um, but I decided not to do that because as Ellie Krug, non-politician, I'm being invited into spaces where politicians would never be invited, into corporations, into colleges and universities, into nonprofits, into rural areas where if I was a visible politician, I would never be invited there. And also then as a politician, you've got your constituents that you have to deal with. And then you also have to raise money all the time. And I just don't want to devote my energies to that. Um, so I am at a crossroads about where I go from here. Um, you know, I could stretch myself physically and financially and bring other people on to my work. Um, and probably that's where I'm going to go. Um, and I need to throw into the mix here that I'm 61 years old. Um, I transitioned genders only, you know, in 2010. Um, at late 2010, so I have only been able to live as me, as Ellie Krug, for barely eight years. And, and, and in that time, um, exercise my idealistic heart and show up really as me. And so, I'm, you know, I'm not that old as it relates to authenticity and my work. And I understand that there are no guarantees here. I mean, I'm 61, as I said, who knows how much time I have left um, but I also do not want to lay on my deathbed and look back and say I took the easy way out as it related to accomplishing this work that I find so incredibly important, this work about trying to make the world a better place. All of my contemporaries are retiring, and I get that. I'm ramping up as they're doing that. Um, and, and I get all of that, and that weighs on me to a certain degree, but there, I have this idealistic heart 
you know, we heard from Stephanie when I asked about what made you an idealist. And, you know, she talked about the Grateful Ted, you know, and, and going around and their, their motto about kindness and, you know, about um, coming from a family that was always optimistic, which all essentially always saw the good in other people. This idealistic spirit in me, I cannot shut it off. I mean, once I finally got to live as me, as Ellie Krug, I mean, it went full bore. It was always under the radar before, but I could never, when I presented as a man, I could never allow my idealistic heart to show up because it wouldn't have been authentic. It wouldn't have been genuine. So I'm going to press ahead. I'm going to expand my work. I'm not going to restrict or settle for it. So I need your help in a couple of ways. One... I'm looking for a director of inspiration. That's actually the title of the person to do my social media work on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and other places. I need that person to help get my name out there to increase my engagement. The person also can help me with some administrative tasks. So you listener, if you or someone you know has a background in social media and has good organizational skills, please contact me at lejkrug at gmail.com. I'll give that to you again. Ellie, E-L-L-I-E-J, Krug, K-R-U-G, lejkrug at gmail.com. Email me. I will send you or whomever a full job description for my director of inspiration. On top of that, I need your help in another way. I'm not going to be content with doing what is shaping up to be maybe 140 trainings this year. I want to speak in front of way more audiences, in rural Minnesota in particular, but I'll come up and speak in the metro. I, I want to talk to audiences that are not used to understanding or hearing from people who are other, quote-unquote other. I am other. I do charge for my time most of the time, but not always. I find that when you don't charge, when you give it away, far less people show up, and it's not very well organized at those times. This is my remaining life's work, and I really appreciate that you are listening to me, that you give me your time every week, that you're willing to listen along as I do this work. All right, I need to pay the bills now. So I need to give a big thanks to our sponsors, the engineering firm of Michelle Cooley Erickson, the Pride Institute, which is a drug and alcohol residential center, and patient out, out recover, outpatient recovery center. There's my tripping. And Brending Electrolysis. Tell Bev um, that I sent you. Bev does great work. We could use some more sponsors. If you love this show, if you love this work, please let me know. We would love to have you as a sponsor. And a big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. You rock, Brett. I'll be back next week and again in expanded format. Thank you. Thank you.